It's episode number six of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hey, lady friends, welcome back to the Keto for Women show. Happy to have you here once again for a little chat today. So I am here all alone, no guests this week, just ready with your questions to hopefully get, give you some clarity and answer those questions for you to the best of my ability. Before I get to these questions, let's just go through a few really quick things that I can just clear up right from the get-go and save everyone some emails. I've been getting some questions about where I got my schooling, how I do my nutritional therapy and my testing and all that stuff. So I got my original schooling through the Nutritional Therapy Association. That is what uh, granted me the ability to be a nutritional therapy practitioner. I did that a few years ago, and it's an amazing program. I highly, highly, highly recommend it for anyone. Honestly, there's many people that go through that course just because they're interested in getting information on their own health or their family's health. And so that's really a great place just to learn all of the intricacies of our bodies and how we can use food as medicine and just everything that's going on, all of these random symptoms we may have, how they could correlate with one another. So I loved the program. I mean, honestly, one of the best parts besides obviously the education is just these lasting friendships I made and just being part of this amazing community that's getting bigger and bigger, but still feels really uh, small and warm and everyone knows everyone and it's just a great place to be. So even just getting into a community of like-minded individuals is so worth it. So yes, I highly recommend that program. It was worth every single penny. I remember thinking within the first week of being in that course that it was worth every single penny. So it still is, I'm sure. And I do, if you want to, I do have a blog post that I wrote about my experience with the course. You can go to my website, seanminer.com, and just go to the search function and type in nutritional therapy and it will pop right up. So, or you can even type in review and it will pop right up. So yeah, highly recommend it, but if you want to read more, please do so. And then after that, I went through the Restorative Wellness Solutions course, uh, which is something that you have to already be a nutritionist to do. You just get this adjunct education where you can learn about the functional lab testing, how to run those, what they mean, how to create a protocol, and help your clients that way. So you do already have to be either a nutritional therapy practitioner or some sort of holistic nutritionist um, and have that certification before you can do the restorative wellness solutions course. So if you're already a nutritionist and you want to move on further and do something like what I do with all the lab testing, then that is your option, restorativewellnesssolutions.com. Also, within the first five minutes, I was like, wow, this is really worth the money because just the amount that you learn is absolutely incredible and a, a really good Uh, in-depth look at what you learned in your holistic nutrition course. 
And both of them do have referral programs. So if you are going to sign up and you would like to put me as a referral, let me know and I can help you out with that. Okay, another question I've gotten, which I didn't even realize I hadn't mentioned until I got questions about it, was that I have two podcasts. So I have another podcast, crazy as it sounds, I do. And that's probably why I fell into this Keto for Women show pretty easily. I have over two years of experience being a podcaster already. So that's why it came quite easily to me. Uh, So my other podcast is called The Nourished Podcast. It is, like I said, it's been on air for over two years. I think we're at episode 120 around there. And it is with my friend and fellow holistic nutritionist. We kind of co-host with each other and we have a great time. We talk about keto a little bit, maybe in a few episodes, but not a ton. Um, We more so focus on the healing aspects of mindset. So using self-love and Um, self-care to really work on healing your body. We also talk a lot about this functional lab testing that we both do and kind of answer listener questions around that. So it's a little bit uh, different than this podcast, which is why I wanted to do this one, because I really wanted to talk specifically about keto, but that wasn't really the goal of the Nourish podcast when we started, so I didn't want to change that. But both Meg and I are keto, so we have talked about it. She is coming out with a keto book, so we're definitely both in the same mindset. So you may find more information that I can share with you over there. Just keep in mind that we did kind of make the switch into ketosis while we were recording this podcast. So at the beginning, which is something that I still believe, we talk about adding carbs if you uh, need to work on your adrenal health. And I still 100% agree with that statement, but just don't get confused. We weren't talking about keto there. So now we are both um, huge keto fans and we will kind of share our personal stories and professional advice based on keto, but in the past we did not. However, let me just share that real quickly. I do 100% believe that if you are not in ketosis, then you don't need to be extremely low carb. So if you are not in ketosis and you have adrenal fatigue or thyroid issues, then yes, you need to eat carbs because you are not producing ketones. That is the difference. So I don't go against anything that I once said. It still is 100% true. We just have an alternate way now, which is produce ketones, and then you don't have to worry about adding those carbs for adrenal health, thyroid issues, hormonal imbalances, and that kind of thing because we are taking care of that with our ketone production. Woohoo! Love it. Okay, so yeah, if you're interested, find The Nourish Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, podcast app, my website, wherever you normally listen to Keto for Women, and you can check that out too and see if it's your cup of tea. If it is, great. If it's not, also great, because you still have me over here at Keto for Women show. Just again, quickly want to thank everyone for reaching out and letting me know how they feel about the podcast, all of the reviews I've been getting all of the Instagram messages and Facebook messages and emails and everything. Just I appreciate it so, so much. It's definitely keeping me going and really helping me uh, understand what you guys want to hear. And so I can make this podcast the best possible ever. Just know that I am reading all of them. If I can't get back to you, if I can't respond via Facebook, Instagram, email, whatever it might be, it's not that I'm not seeing it. I just unfortunately don't have 
time in the day to get back to everyone. I do really, really appreciate it. Please keep them coming. I see every single one and uh, I will hopefully someday get back to you. The only other thing to mention quickly, like I said last week, is that the Fat Burning Female Project for the July course is sold out, completely closed. I will be having another one very soon. September 18th is the start date with course materials being delivered that Friday before. So you want to get in on it, then you got to make sure to sign up as quickly as possible. The early enrollment period will start Wednesday, September 6th. So Wednesday, September 6th is when that early enrollment will start. So get that on your calendar because it might just sell out as quickly as this one did and we don't want you missing out again. If you don't know what I'm talking about, head to bit.ly slash fatburningfemale. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash fatburningfemale to learn more about the course that I have to offer for you guys. So I just have one really quick personal story about using ketones for fuel that I think you all will enjoy and will hopefully maybe show you what the power of ketones can do or maybe you already know and you can relate to this story. Uh, So I just got back from a weekend in the mountains, which was absolutely phenomenal, by the way. Perfect weather, gorgeous views, everything was amazing. And I did a really, really, really hard hike, harder than we expected it to be. We have these uh, peaks here in Colorado that are called 14ers because they are over 14,000 feet high. So above all other mountains, basically. So pretty darn high. And it takes quite a bit of hiking to get up there. Um, There's different levels you know, from easy, medium, hard, which even the easiest one I've done, and it was still really hard. None of them are short and quick and fun, that's for sure. But it's always kind of a nice challenge to try to do one. And so my friend and I decided to do that this weekend. We did a a moderate one, not really understanding that that meant hard. (laughs) And it took us about five and a half hours total, maybe a little less than that, to go round trip. So up the mountain and back down. It was about three and a half up and then about two down. So pretty long hike. It was seven miles, quite a bit of elevation gain. I can't remember the actual elevation gain, but thousands of feet in elevation gain and an intense workout the entire time. The thing is, the only thing that I ate, I had we drank butter coffees on our way there. So I had collagen and ghee in my coffee in the morning and That was it the entire time until that was at 5.30 in the morning when we left and I didn't eat anything and didn't need fuel for that extremely hard, long distance activity for an additional, I would say it was about 1.30 when I ate again and I felt completely fine. I felt really good. I actually didn't want to eat on the hike whatsoever. I brought some snacks just in case and didn't feel like I needed them, didn't want them. I felt really fueled properly. So I thought that was really awesome. And, you know, I've done these hikes in the past, like I said, and never once have I been in ketosis when I have done them. And I've always needed multiple snacks. I've needed to stop and have a fruit or back in the day, I would have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, something at the top, something on the way down. 
even like Gatorade type things way back in the day. So to not need that and to not feel that sense of hunger or urgency for my body to need fuel was so cool. I just wanted to share that because it's really fun. It's really fun to see that change happen and to just not have to be so reliant on snacks is really great. And I think that you guys can all agree with me. Uh, If you haven't listened to the episode about working out while in ketosis, then go check that out. That's episode number four, but that could be a good one for you. If you want to feel this way when you're working out, then head over there and listen to that. But I thought you guys would appreciate that story, and I was excited to share that with you all. Okay, but now let's move on to your stories. Let's answer some listener questions and see if we can get into some really good conversation today about keto for women. So I have some really good topics that I think you all are going to find really valuable and be able to kind of see yourself in some of these stories. So let's go right ahead. I want to start by just talking about how to test for ketones and glucose and those kinds of things. I've been getting several questions about that. So just to kick it off, let's hear from one of our listeners with some questions she's having. This question comes from Cecilia. She says, loving your new podcast. I am learning so much more. I have been eating ketogenic for just nearly three months. My ketone levels run low in the 0.9, with a parentheses, not sure how to get those to the 1.0. I have lost 25 pounds of pure inflammation, and I can't wait to check my lab markers again. I don't track. I eat intuitively, which I love. Can you please go into detail about how to find your carb tolerance? What are the optimal sugar level readings after a meal and morning fasting levels? Any optimal keto levels? Let's talk carb tolerance because I've brought this up several times over the past six episodes now and for a good reason because I think this is a really big step in finding your keto diet. So not anyone else's out there, not mine, not your friend down the street, not your husband's, your keto diet. And the reason why is because I feel like it is too much to say that you're never going to eat carbs again. Is that safe to say? To make something so restricted to a point where you can't ever have them again makes this seem like a pretty daunting diet and something that you are hoping to not have to do forever. But if we know that there are carbohydrates that we can tolerate and that would be okay to add in uh, here and there or daily or whatever it may be, then it seems a lot more tolerable and it makes it seem like something you can probably do forever because then there's no one food that is out of your life for good. And that just makes a world of difference in my opinion. So here's how we find our carb tolerance. First of all, you need to make sure you are in a ketogenic state. So you need to make sure you're in ketosis, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but that is going to be between the range of 0.5 to 3.0 if you are using a blood ketone meter. If you're using urine test strips, I can't really help you. I don't recommend them. I don't have any desire to learn anything more about them because I don't believe they're as accurate as the other options that we have. And so I don't want to mislead you. So I can't really comment on that. If you're using the ketonics breath meter, then you just want to be uh, in that full range of ketosis, which I believe is green. So once you are in this ketogenic state, and if you have been for a while, great. If you haven't been and you're just starting out and maybe you're just starting to get those ketogenic levels 
then let's stay there for at least a few weeks. So really just get yourself deep into a ketogenic state. And I don't mean deep as in needing the levels to be higher. So it's not like if you go from 0.8 to 2.0 that you're better or deeper. It just means I just want your body to have been in ketosis for at least a few weeks straight. So every day, every hour, let's be in ketosis for a solid few weeks. I would say two to three minimum and then kind of see how you feel. So once those two to three weeks of being in ketosis for a solid state happen, gauge how you feel. So then if you're feeling really good and you love the food that you're eating, you don't feel like it's a diet, you want to continue, you have no cravings, then awesome. Don't really need to test your carb tolerance. But if you are two to three weeks into keto and feeling good, you're feeling the benefits of ketosis, but feel like maybe you um, would do a little better if you had a little bit more carbohydrate in your day. Maybe you're feeling a little sluggish by the end of the day. Maybe you're not sleeping well. Maybe you're having excessive hair loss. Maybe you've lost your menstrual cycle, something like that. Maybe you're not feeling as good as you want to with keto, then you could potentially try adding in some carbohydrates. And the cool thing with that is that some people will be able to add carbs into their day and stay in ketosis, which is great. This is what we want to find. We want to find that place where you can have a little bit of carb or maybe a lot of carb, depending on who you are and your tolerance and still get the benefits of producing ketones. So we want those ketone bodies running through our blood, but maybe we need a little bit of carbohydrate here and there to make ourselves feel a little better or even just to feel more lifestyle-like and less diet-like. Keep in mind, when I'm saying this, every single person is going to be very different. So maybe I can tolerate a lot of carbohydrates. Maybe you can't tolerate any. I mean, if you have any past of having blood sugar issues or if you're currently dealing with insulin resistance or prediabetes or even hypoglycemia, there are a lot of reasons why you may not be able to tolerate carbohydrates. So I don't want you to think that if you can't, that something's wrong with you or anything like that. You just have more healing to do. And that's great. And that's why you are in ketosis. So it's just something to put on the back burner and maybe wait another few months and then try again and see if your carb tolerance has improved. It just totally depends on you as a person, what you're healing, what you've gone through, what your diet was like in the past as to how sensitive you are going to be to carbohydrates. And it's totally fine to be at one place now. That doesn't mean you're going to be at the same place down the road. So just give yourself more time and give your body more of a chance to heal. So that being said, if you'd like to find your carb tolerance, you've done the two to three week being really being in ketosis. You feel good, but you want to feel a little better or even just see if carbs are the reason that you're not feeling good. They might actually make you feel worse, which kind of happens in my case, to be totally honest. But you can check to see. Now is where you have all the control in the world, which you always have had on your diet, but a little bit harder when you're actually trying to get the body to produce ketones. But now you have the power, which is so great. So now you can experiment. What I like to do as far as choosing the carbohydrates is pick something that not only sounds 
good, but that you've had good responses with in the past. So I'm talking whole food, real carbohydrates. I'm not talking about a donut, but I mean, if that's what is needed in your life to really feel like I could do this forever, if you need a donut once every three months to make you feel like keto will work for you for the rest of your life, then cool. No no judgment here. But on a regular basis, if you're trying to do to add in carbs a few times a week or once a week or once every two weeks, I would prefer it be something like fruit or sweet potato, plantains, white rice, regular potato. I'd really like it to have some nutrient-dense characteristics as well. So just having, you know, white bread or pasta or something like that is not going to provide that nutrient density that we're looking for. And I'm all about the real food around here. So uh, if that's the case, then pick a day, have your sweet potato, say, at dinner, and wait minimum two hours. You could even probably wait four hours or even the next day, especially if it's at night, and test your ketones. If you are still in ketosis, then that level of carbohydrate and that type of carbohydrate works for you. If you're not, then it doesn't. So ideally, we want to, you may be kicked out of ketosis for maybe 20, 30 minutes, but we want to get back into ketosis quickly. So that will show us if your carb tolerance for that particular food is there, then you will jump right back into ketosis very quickly and probably not ever even get out, which is the real ideal carb that we have. So then you know, okay, I had a sweet potato. It worked for me. So when I feel like I need carbs, if I had a long day, stressed out, hard workout, feeling tired, it's that time of the month, or I just really want one, then I'm going to have a sweet potato and I know it will be okay. Now, does that mean you're having sweet potatoes every day? No, because more than likely, if you're actually really in tune with your body and what you're eating, you probably don't want carbs to that degree every single day. Now, if you do, okay, but I just have a feeling that most of us don't really need that amount of carbohydrate every single day. It's more so, like I said, once, twice a week, maybe even every other week, something like that, depending on you and your lifestyle. Now, if you test the sweet potato and it works great, and then a few days go by and you want to test some white rice and you have a half a cup of white rice at dinner, you test three hours later and you're out of ketosis, then you know rice even though it may be the same gram of carbohydrate level, so say they're both 40 grams of carbs, rice causes your blood sugar to spike high enough that ketones are no longer produced. Whereas a sweet potato didn't cause that spike to happen, so your body is still producing ketones in the absence of glucose. So remember, it's always kind of that scale. You know, the more glucose we have in the blood, the less ketone production happens, the less glucose the more ketone production. Keep that in mind. So we want to find those carbs that your body that doesn't require that much of a glucose response. Again, different from person to person. So you just have to do that for yourself. And it's just cool information to know because like I said, you don't probably need them every day. You probably don't want them every day. But for instance, if you're out at a restaurant with your friends and 
trying to stay keto, but also trying to be a normal human who goes out to eat and has food, then maybe that is the day that you decide you want to include a sweet potato as a side to your steak and butter or something. I mean, I personally think it's super easy to eat out keto even without including carbs, but it just gives you that flexibility. And even just knowing that, even if you don't ever do it, helps with the lifestyle factor. It helps you to know if there ever is a situation where I'm out, maybe you're at sushi and you're on a date and you don't want to be the weird person who says, I can't eat rice, then you know, okay, I can have a quarter cup of rice and be okay. So I can do a little bit of sushi and still keep my ketones, still do all the healing I'm trying to do and not be completely restricted, not feel that restriction. And that's really all it is because... You don't, like we've talked about before, you don't need the carbohydrates, but you might occasionally intuitively want some and that's okay. And that's not something to be mad at yourself about or feel like you're not doing something right if that's the case. That's completely fine and understandable. And now we know that we have the power to find our carb tolerance, find those carbs that work really well for us and stick with those, stick with that amount If it doesn't end up working, then you know that that food doesn't work for you and to stay away from that for now. In the future, that might change, you know, but right now, depending on each person's own process of healing, that is where you are now and you can be happy with that. So I think I explained that pretty well. I hope it makes sense and I hope you guys can all do a little bit of testing on yourselves and see what kind of carbs your body likes and what kind of carbs your body doesn't. Now, this also is a really good segue into alcohol and keto because I've gotten a few questions about the possibility of drinking alcohol while doing a ketogenic diet. And if you follow me on Instagram, I don't really post to so much in my regular Instagram, but on my Instagram stories, you will see that I drink alcohol. Not a ton. Uh, I don't really sleep that well when I do, so I have to be kind of choosy about when I want to actually take part in drinking alcohol versus sleeping, to be honest. And sleeping almost always wins, but I do drink sometimes. And I have found through testing my carb tolerance that there are certain wines and certain champagnes and certain liquors that I do well with and will stay in ketosis uh, after drinking those. So those are the ones I choose. And again, it takes a little bit of patience and practice and testing. Uh, I would go out. I would have a glass or two of wine. I would come home two hours later, three hours later, test my ketones levels and see how they were doing. Now, alcohol is a little bit different because In low quantities, low to moderate, we'll say quantities, alcohol itself doesn't always cause an insulin and glucose response. It's more so usually the beers and the mixers and things like that, which is where we get in trouble with having blood sugar issues when we drink. Now, some people that do have insulin resistance or severe blood sugar issues may not be able to drink at all without their blood sugar getting into the act. But for some of us, we can have some dry wine or champagne or tequila or something like that 
without a sugary mixer and be okay. So it's not metabolized the same way. No matter who we are, no matter what our carb tolerance, every single person is going to burn through alcohol as soon as that is consumed. So if you have alcohol in your body, that is what your body is going to use for energy until that's burned off. So then it's a matter of does it go back to ketones from there or is there some sort of bridge where we have to go through a little bit of glucose first and then get back to ketone production? That's where we're really testing. So that level of ketones in the blood will show you what's going to happen after you're done burning through that alcohol because that's always going to be first. Okay, and then just one other real quick thing about this while I'm thinking of it. If you try something and it kicks you out of ketosis, say that sweet potato at dinner puts you out of ketosis, don't worry. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. You're going to get back in. Just go back to what you've been doing and what you know gets you into ketosis. Have all those fatty meals the next day and you'll be fine. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with going in and out of ketosis occasionally. It's absolutely fine and you're still going to get the benefits you're still going to heal it's just going to make you drop out for a little bit but that's okay this is all a learning experience this is how we understand our own bodies instead of having to google and facebook and instagram and look at everyone else's stories and try to come up with our own answers from their stories instead we can actually just use our own bodies it's amazing how that works and so i'm here to teach you that I just don't want you to freak out if you do get out of ketosis. You will be just fine. You're going to get right back in as soon as that glucose level comes back down and you start producing ketones again. That is one of our questions. Let's move on to talking about weight, which is one of my favorite topics. Oh, I feel like I could talk about this for hours, so we'll try to keep this somewhat succinct, but who knows how that's going to happen. We will see. First, I have Samantha who says, I would love to hear more about calories on your podcast. I'm currently in my fourth week of following keto, lost six pounds the first week and nothing since. That first week before I found you, I was following my keto plan from the Keto Diet app, which had me around 1,300 calories per day. I was starving, but losing. After listening to your show and learning we don't have to worry about calories, I have stopped trying to stay under 1,400. Now I'm not losing inches or weight. Thank you, Samantha. Okay. This, gosh, you guys, I feel like there's so many of you in this question. Samantha really hit the nail on the head for sure with the question that I think is on a lot of your minds and especially gets hard when you have someone in this field, who is me, telling you not to worry about calories. I know it's really, really hard, but we just kind of have to get over that. We really just have to because listen to Samantha's story and it as I kind of read through it again, and you'll see why this isn't working. So first of all, she lost six pounds her first week in keto and then nothing since. Now, first of all, as most of you will know, if you've been through ketosis and doing it for a while, most people lose a little bit of weight in a short amount of time when starting ketosis just because of that change in water retention. It's not fat. It's may or may not stay off. It's just when you are a sugar burner, you have glucose and glycogen in your body at all times, and that's always carried around with water. So as soon as your glucose and glycogen deplete, it takes the water with it. 
So we are storing less water, which is really good. That's also why we feel that electrolyte imbalance that can happen when we're going through keto flu. It's because of that water is gone that we're used to having. And so it just takes our body a little while to rebalance our electrolytes along with our water and everything else. So you just have less water on you, which is, like I said, an awesome thing. We don't want to be retaining extra water, but it's not actual fat loss. So that's the difference. And that's why it happens so quickly when we first get into ketosis. Now, once we're there, keto is no different than any other diet, quote unquote, which is losing maybe a pound a week at most. Now, that is if you are healed properly, which we know as women, there's a lot of us that aren't. And one of the main things that isn't healed is your metabolism. And this is where Samantha is really coming in to play here because she lost weight that first week, like we talked about, but she was doing so on 1,300 calories per day. Wow. Wow, wow. And even right here, she said she was starving, but she was losing, which is the case for so many of us. I mean, how many of us can go back in the day to, or maybe it's currently, maybe you're someone like Samantha where you're on this eating plan that is restricting your calories, restricting your food, but you're losing. And so it's like, well, this has got to be it. This has got to be the right thing to do. This has to be my body responding. It has to be calories in versus calories out. But Eventually, that ends. Eventually, your body goes to the place where it levels out with the amount of energy you're giving it. So that means your metabolism downgrades itself to where 1,300 calories is going to be enough to sustain your bodily function. And so now you have this metabolism that can only withstand 1,300 calories. So if you ever go above or start eating what you need as a woman to feel really good, but now your metabolism has been um, kind of lost in that shuffle, and so now we have to work to heal your metabolism again. And so that's kind of the first thing is when I see that, I think, okay, so 1,300 calories per day, starving but losing, but eventually that stops, which it did for her, and it does for all of us because your body is always going to regulate that. Because your body is not going to continue expending more energy than you are giving it. We have to be in homeostasis with the amount of energy we are giving and taking away from our bodies on a daily basis. That's how we heal. And that's just your metabolism, okay? But we also have to then think about what this 1,300 calories per day did to Samantha and all of ours at one point, we've all been there. Well, most of us have been there at least in under eating where now what did that do to your hormones and those other intricacies we've talked about in these other podcasts uh, prior is, you know, as soon as something stressful comes on to your body, which is in the case of having this caloric deficit and your body wondering how it's supposed to get energy what happens to your stress level? It goes up. And we know from back in probably both episodes two and three, so go back and listen if you haven't already, then we know that that stress response causes a downstream effect on your hormones. So that means progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, 
these other hormones are also then getting out of balance. And from those episodes, again, we know that as soon as you have any sort of imbalance in your hormones, as soon as that magical dance that happens with our hormones is gone or not so much a dance anymore, they're not dancing with each other, they're dancing separately on opposite sides of the room, then we know downstream effects are going to be things like weight loss resistance. Okay, so it seems like a good idea at the time. I know Samantha and everyone else who's restricting calories or has in the past, I know it seems like a good idea at the time. I know it seems like it makes sense at the time in order to lose weight to give your body less energy than it takes to burn. So that calories in versus calories out thing that we've been taught so long ago that really is just a total lie. It just doesn't work that way. It just does not work that way. You've got to fuel yourself appropriately to let your body know that it is safe, that there's homeostasis within, everything's cool, there's plenty of nutrients in your body to do all of the functions that it needs to do. And when your body knows that, then that's when things start happening. Then that's when your metabolism starts picking up, uh, your hormones start regulating themselves, and your stress levels normalize. That's when we can start looking for possible weight loss. And this is also the reason why it takes women longer potentially to lose weight on a ketogenic diet. And I know that keto is, now I'm getting worked up and hot because this is such an important topic for me and something that I really want to take up space in the keto world promoting. And maybe you guys can help me get there by continuing to talk about this. But yes, there are definitely people, women, men, all of us in the keto space that desperately need to lose weight to get healthy, right? And if you are insulin resistant, diabetic, obese, something like that, then yes, you your weight is of the utmost importance to get control of, to live, to have a healthy life, right? But even if weight is your number one concern, and the, this would be for the people who are obese, diabetic, have a lot of weight around that trunk portion where they have to get rid of in order to be healthy, in order to stave off disease, then utmost importance, yes, but still what is actually happening when in ketosis is healing. Your body is healing and that's what's causing that weight loss. Now, if you are someone who's not quite in that space, maybe you have 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 pounds to lose, but you're otherwise pretty healthy, you're maybe more so want to lose weight to look better in your clothes or uh, maybe move a little easier or something like that, but you're otherwise healthy and at a healthy weight, then you need to focus on healing the body. Healing the body, which is what we're all doing, but I feel like there's so much um, push about weight in the keto community and really the only people that should be pushing for the weight would be, like I said, those that really need to do so, you know, to get their health back to the point where they're not uh, in danger. So those people doing keto, you will see they have these amazing weight loss stories and everything is going really well for them. And that's because of where they were at when they started their journey. 
But that doesn't mean that every single person and all of us are going to see this insane weight loss when we start a ketogenic diet. I mean, I lost very little for months until I healed my body and then the weight started coming off. But that took months and that took a long time of me eating enough food, getting enough fat, getting into ketosis, finding the foods that worked for me, finding my carb tolerance, dealing with my stress. Let me just say that again, dealing with my stress that had nothing to do with ketogenic diets. It was my lifestyle and um, my job and business and relationships and all this other stuff that I had to clear out because those things were causing me to not be healthy. The same thing goes for you. Yes, there is this push in the keto community and there rightfully should be for weight loss for those people that desperately need to to gain their health. But for a lot of us, weight loss isn't the number one concern. I know it seems like it is for you in your mind right now, but you need to find that deeper concern. You need to find that deeper healing that needs to happen which will then translate into weight loss down the road. But if it's not this dire need right now, then let's take a step back, see if you can determine what might be causing this weight loss resistance because most likely it's hormonal, metabolic, food sensitivities, gut issues, inflammation, your environment, toxins. Gosh, I mean, the list could go on and on. There's a lot of reasons for weight loss resistance. And maybe that could be a whole nother episode that I can go into these a little bit clearer. Before I even have that episode, I want all of us to find that bigger reason here, to find that other thing that you want to heal that then maybe could translate into weight loss down the road. But let's find that first and not let weight be of such a focus right now, which I know is almost impossible. Trust me, I know, I know. But when you can do that, and I know uh, even Leanne and I talked about this last week in episode five, and it's just so true, but when you can find your need for health versus your need to be a certain size, changes everything. It really, really changes everything. And I think you all would find quite a bit of relief in that because just based on the responses I'm getting and the questions I'm getting, even if it's not a question related to weight, still somewhere in there, it says, I lost this much weight or I haven't lost any weight or why can't I lose weight? There's something always around weight and I don't really want it to be. I think there's another purpose in this keto community to find health versus weight. I don't want it to be about weight anymore. I want it to be about more than that and really finding true health. And that's why I'm here sharing this with you. So I definitely went into a tangent on that one, which I knew I was going to do. But I just want all of us to have a little bit of a different reason why we're here. And that different reason will end up being really, really freeing for you and will make this ketogenic way of life a little different. It will give you a little bit more of a purpose. It will give you a little bit more to focus on besides that scale or your genes or whatever it may be. And what's even better is that the end result is going to be this amazingly healthy body that then gets to its natural weight, not something you forced to happen that then is just going to come back and maybe even with more of a vengeance. Instead, you have taken the time to heal your body from the inside out 
and that has resulted in this really natural, amazing weight. And you just feel really good too because you're healthy. I mean, how cool is that? Let's just do that. And that's why I'm here. That's why I'm going to continue. I mean, I'll probably talk about this topic repeatedly on repeat because I definitely agree that it's hard. It's hard to not keep your focus on the weight and the scale and how you look and the outside, but you just have to keep reminding yourself that the reason you are carrying extra weight is just a symptom of something else. You're not, your body is not just going to carry extra weight just to have it around. I mean, the only thing I will say to that, and I know we talked about this last week with Leanne, is your healthy weight may not be what you want it to be. It may be 10 pounds heavier than what you want, but eventually you're just going to accept that. If you know that you're totally healthy, you're doing everything right, then it just becomes a little easier to accept that this is what my body feels is good. This is when I have normal periods. This is when I have a lot of energy and I'm in ketosis and I'm eating enough food for my body, fueling myself properly. You know, I feel like that it just becomes a little easier to be like, all right, well, what's 10 pounds? Who cares? You know, and then you can just put away the scale and realize that 10 pounds doesn't really matter. And hopefully we're not even weighing ourselves. But Um, So keep that in mind. If you do have weight that is beyond what your body thinks is healthy, it will come off when you are healthy. That's all there is to it. Bottom line. All right. I think I talked that one to death, hopefully. But let me know if there's anything I could clear up further around that. Let's move on to the topic of testing ketones, testing blood sugar, all of that good stuff. This Question comes from Debbie, who is 51 years old. She says, I started keto several months ago. I also intermittent fast and I'm doing great. My question is, how do I know what ketone and glucose levels I should be at? Right now, I'm averaging 1.3 to 2.8, depending on my fasting. I'm confused about what they should be after I try a sweet potato. I haven't tried a carb up yet because I'm still feeling great, but I'm sure that with my tennis ramping up, I'll need more carbs. I've heard that anything above 0.5 is considered ketogenic. I also heard that glucose levels don't matter as much because you could test at a time that your body found some sugar to use in your body. Please clear this all up for me. Okay, Debbie. Yes, I would like to clear this up for you. However, of course, there's always going to be a little bit of gray area, I think, especially when it comes to numbers and blood sugar and things like that. So let's start with ketones and then we will move on. So this kind of goes along with the carb ups because she was asking about how to know. Like I said, back with carb ups, um, right now Debbie is between 1.3 and 2.8 on her ketone meter reading. That is a blood ketone meter. And like I said, 0.5 to 3.0 is nutritional ketosis. So anywhere in between there is great. And Debbie's looks really good. 1.3 to 2.8 is right in between. If you're doing a carb up, all you'd want to do is stay between 0.5 and 3.0. And then you know you're still producing ketones to the level of nutritional ketosis, even with that sweet potato, for instance. And um, I mean, the only thing I will say about that range Like I kind of mentioned before, but I think it's something important to talk about again, you don't have to keto harder to get a better number. Once you're in ketosis, you're in ketosis. People find that they feel better at a certain range. So for instance, if I'm above 1.0, usually I'm between 1.0 and 2.0. If I'm somewhere in there, I feel really good. So even with my 
carb ups, I still try to stay in that range. I still try to make it to where, you know, maybe I'll dip a little lower. I'll get be 0.7, 0.8. But then the next day I'm right back up into this 1.0 to 2.0 range. So you still can find where you feel best. Again, I'm giving you all the power to do so. It doesn't matter where I say I'm at. It doesn't matter where your husband or boyfriend says he's at. It just matters where you feel good. So right now, Debbie says she feels really good. She's between 1.3 and 2.8. Then that's a great place to be. And if you try your carb up, you say you have a sweet potato and you drop down to... 0.7 but you still feel good then that's great you know that sweet potato works for you you know that uh you're gonna pop right back up probably after that sweet potato has fully uh, left your system and there you go but if you do drop down to 0.5 after sweet potato and you're still technically in ketosis but you don't feel good like if you feel sleepy or start getting more cravings or something like that then yeah, it it technically still kept you in ketosis, but you didn't feel as good. And that's when you know maybe that type of carb didn't work. So you could try half a sweet potato or you could try a different kind of carb like we talked about earlier. Now let's chat about glucose for a little bit because we heard about that in the question prior too. So um, lots of people asking about glucose. And here's the thing about testing your glucose. First of all, it is definitely something that's more of a snapshot. So, I mean, your glucose changes quite frequently throughout the day, depending on when you ate, what you ate, what time of day it is, all this stuff. Also, there's a lot of uh, testing meters that aren't accurate. And so that will really throw you for a loop if you test and get a really high reading or get a really low reading or something and it will cause a stir when really it was just because the test um, the test meter was bad. So I find it really hard and I don't really like for people to just depend on glucose because there's so many other options. Now technically fasting glucose um I I guess I'm just going to tell you my functional lab range because I am a functional nutritionist and I believe in the functional lab ranges because when you're outside of those, it will signal an issue before there is an actual issue. So I like to see fasting glucose between 80 and 96. So that is with at least 12 hours of fasting. And, um, you know, if you're higher than that, does it mean that you're diabetic? No. But something to start just monitoring and just seeing uh, how you're doing throughout the rest of the day and um, how your ketone levels are and that kind of thing. If you're lower than that, does it mean that you're hypoglycemic? No, not necessarily, but it, it definitely could and definitely something, again, you want to monitor and really look at. So you can also test your uh, postprandial, which is basically a fancy word for saying after you eat. <laughs> um, you can test those. I like to have people test one hour and two hours after their meal. So eat a meal, whether it contains carbs or not, doesn't really matter. Um, if you want to test your reaction to the carbohydrates, you could do it after a meal that had carbs. And you test your blood glucose an hour after, and you want it to be I like to tell people below 140 an hour after and then hopefully below 120 
two hours after. Again, these are more functional ranges. These are more kind of like ideal uh, ways that we can really stay ahead of the game. And that's why I like to use these numbers in these ranges. So you can kind of base it off of that and take it as more of information instead of, you know, as soon as you test and see something's off, uh, it means your whole world is ending because it does not mean that. I promise. It's okay. But it is a way to get more information along with ketones. So it's not really something to use instead of a ketone reading. I don't think that they kind of can go back and forth like that. It's just if you want more information about your body, especially if you're someone that's trying to heal their blood sugar issues, whether that is hypoglycemia or insulin resistance or metabolic syndrome or anything like that, if you have those numbers that are outside of range from what I just said, then you have a little bit of healing to do. However, if you are someone that does actually have blood sugar issues or even if you don't know and you want to find out, you have to look at more than your blood glucose because like I said, it's kind of a snapshot in time, not the most accurate thing, can definitely change at the flip of a hat. So we really want to look at your HbA1c level, which is a percentage calculated based on what your average glucose was over the past three months. So that is a really way better marker to see what your body does with its um, blood sugar over the course of time and takes that into consideration and, and factors it all out and averages it. So that's a way better marker that I would look at to see how your blood sugar is doing. Uh, I would test that along with your insulin. So there are definitely places that will test for insulin. A lot of times you just have to ask more specifically to have that tested. Um, but really being able to see how your insulin level is doing is far more uh, accurate and gives you a lot more information than just your blood glucose level. So test that insulin. It will tell you how much insulin is in the blood, which will give you kind of a sign if you might be trending towards insulin resistance or on the higher end. And that's something that we can um, correct before it gets any worse. So always worth worth it to get extra information. You know by now, after six episodes of talking with me, that I am one to want all of the information, and that's how you can really help your body heal. So if you are actually interested and really wanting to get to know your blood sugar responses, then get those other ones tested. And then, you know, track yours. Do the fasting glucose and the postprandial for an hour and two hours after a meal. Do that for a few weeks just to get some trends and see how it looks, um, see how you're doing, see how keto affects it. If you're testing ketones and they're higher when your fasting glucose is lower or whatever, it's just kind of like a little experiment you can do to learn about yourself and to learn what works and what doesn't. I think that's always really beneficial. And I'm always a fan, but ketones are always going to be what I would prefer you to measure if you want to um, use ketosis to heal your body is will always be kind of the gold standard just because then we know how you're doing and that you are actually in ketosis. And then you can use the ketone meter to um, test for your carb tolerance too. And you shouldn't be testing carb tolerance every day either. So I hope that cleared some things up. Um, just again, let me remind you for the for testing the ketones. Precision Extra Blood Ketone Meter is what I currently am recommending, although I know Jimmy Moore is coming out with one that will hopefully be 
better or the same and, and maybe a better price from what I understand. So I'll be on the lookout for that and I'll let you guys know um, when that comes out and how it is. But as for as of now, Precision Extra Blood Ketone Meter, I will link to it in the show notes so you can head right there and get that ordered. Uh, specific blood ketone test strips. You can also get glucose test strips for the Precision Extra and just use the one meter for both tests and it's decently accurate. So that would be a good option for you if you do want to test both ketones and blood glucose. And I don't recommend the urine test strips like I've mentioned before. Please just don't bother. They're just kind of a waste of time to be perfectly honest. I don't think you should bother with that. It's not going to give you very accurate reading. And the ketonics breath meter, I don't actually have experience with it, but I've heard really good things. So I'd be cool with you doing that too. Uh, Just head to, I believe it's ketonics.co, I think, to um, check that out if you want to look into the breath ketone reading. Really quickly, before I leave, one thing, because I've been having a lot of questions about this, and I did talk about it in episode four. So the episode that's about the workouts, at the end, I did give ideas for how to add more fat into your diet. So please go and listen to that because I get a lot of questions about how do I add fat to make my meals fatty enough to be in ketosis? I tell you all my secrets in episode four. So if you haven't listened, go over there. If you still want me to give you more ideas or maybe uh, show you what I'm eating, head over to Instagram. That's where I post all of my meals over at Sean Minor Health there. And you can see what I'm eating and how I add fat to my day. But until then, I will talk to you guys next week. Have a great weekend. See you then. Hey, lady. Do you want to make sure that you are doing the ketogenic diet the right way for you? Do you want to make sure you're getting all of those amazing benefits that come with producing ketones and not putting any extra stress on your body? Then head to my website and check out the Fat Burning Female Project. We have a new class starting soon and I'd love to have you be a part of it. Head to bit.ly slash fatburningfemale. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash fatburningfemale. And make sure to sign up to get a notification of when the next class will be. Can't wait to see you there.